You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My art has very always been very political. I, I think that act of putting a Black woman on stage with words in her mouth and opinions is really a profound act of courage um, for theaters, for theater watchers. I mean, telling our stories ourselves is really quite profound. Welcome to the Black Business of Broadway, a podcast brought to you by the Broadway League and Black to Broadway. Here, we highlight the stories, how-tos, and successes of the Black professionals and legends of Broadway. I'm your host, Janine Scott. Today's guest is Tony-nominated actress and veteran of stage and screen, Michelle Wilson. In addition to originating the role as Cynthia in the Pulitzer Prize-winning play, Sweat, some of her other theater credits include A Raisin in the Sun, Confederates, The House That Will Not Stand, and Detroit 67, to name a few. Some of Michelle's notable TV film work includes Amazing Stories, The Good Fight, Madam Secretary, Between the World and Me, and Premature. You can currently see Michelle in the Coast Starlight at Lincoln Center Theater. Michelle, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It's nice to be here with you good people. I am so excited uh, to talk to you for for a myriad of reasons. One, your choice in, in the roles that you have chosen along your career. Wow. But we're not, we'll get there though. We'll get there. Okay. Right. First, I want to know what inspired you to pursue a career as an actor? I, I, I can't quite pinpoint it. I'm from Detroit. I, I think I know what happened. I'm from Detroit. I grew up on the Northwest side, which is like the university district. And it was all these beautiful black middle-class folks who had settled in after the riots and the white families that were still there were these large Catholic families. And then there was a Jewish activist. And so it was this amazing melting pot of folks, you know. One of my neighbors mm. was Regina Carter, who is the violinist. And my block was full of young women. And we called them the big girls. And the big girls put on a show in Regina Carter's backyard one year. And I have a picture of myself in a tutu at that show. And I swear to God, you could see I'm turning. And all of a sudden, it's just like, this is it. <laughs> I have found oh. what I am going to do. So whenever I see Regina after she comes to a show, I'm like, you know, this is all your fault. You know? 
that here. <laughs> with all the vagaries of being an artist, if you hadn't put that damn tutu on me at six years old. <laughs> so it's Regina's fault. It's cute. <laughs> so, well, Regina, we blame you. <laughs> so was there, you know, so besides having Regina, were there, was there anyone else in your family, you know, who was also interested well, in this arts career or was this just something, was this something new? My mom was a dancer with all city in Detroit. And my mother was getting oh. ready to go away and dance in Europe. And she got pregnant with my brother. And so the, mm. the, my mother would always say, you can do anything you want to do. You don't have to get married. You don't have to have babies. You don't, you don't have to do anything but follow your passion. So I feel like uh, she filled me with a lot of her hopes and disappointments and you know she wanted me to have no regrets so really between regina and my mother they instigated a whole lot didn't they <laughs> you know it's i i have a daughter uh, i sometimes talk about her on the podcast and that's the same thing that i tell her i'm like just go and oh. be i mean you're young yes. you have the rest of your life yes to figure it all out that's exactly right and you're just, just trying be. to give them courage you know and the um, right. permission for self-expression and so um, our, my mom's generation they were really the women who came in kicking down doors you know, trying to explode through glass ceilings and really what all of that hard work gave me is permission. I love it. Yeah. I love it. And we stand on those shoulders. Yes, of we do. All of those oh men. my goodness. That's I have amazing, a long really. line of matriarchs, honey. Full blown. Really? Mm -hmm. Tell us. <laughs> and, you know, Detroit is an immigrant town and it's the internal immigration. Mm -hmm. And my grandmother was a single mother, 18 year old who came from nowhere, Arkansas with my mom in tow. And um, mm -hmm. she tells a story of when she told her father that she wanted to go to Detroit. They had a cousin there. He said, you can go, but you have to leave the baby here because babies belong to families, not to people. And she said, okay. Yeah. And she took the baby. And my grandmother says that when she sent money back home every month, she put an extra $10 in the envelope for just for disobeying him. So, oh, wow. yeah, she and she brought her siblings to Detroit. There were 10 of them, two at a time, and installed them. And they had a two-family flat. And uh, she did that until she got all her siblings north. So it's, wow. uh, yeah, come from courageous fearless women do you know fearless fearless women. yeah yeah and it, and it shows yeah. i mean in the works that you've chosen you know it it you can you draw I, my my assumption is that you draw that from that strength and from those from those different you know experiences that you have as as a black woman you know sure. With, sure. with the history i do want to say that the roles choose me um, mm, you know, okay. there, there's no way I, it's, it, it's like this reciprocal energy, but what you're putting out is what you get. Right. And so, um, yes. my art has very, always been very political. 
I, I think that act of putting a black woman on stage with words in her mouth and opinions is really a profound act of courage um, for theaters, for theater watchers. I mean, telling our stories ourselves is really quite profound. And, um, and so th that's what I attract and what is attracted to me, right? Yeah, right. I love it. Mm -hmm. So you attended the University of Michigan yes. for theater. I did. Can Actually, you talk about how, how that training helped shape you? Well, you know, I, there, I have to make a couple confessions. Um, okay. I actually studied political science at the University of Michigan because I could not figure out how to tell my father <laughs> uh, how, uh, that I wanted to do theater. So I studied political science. And I did like 10 shows undergraduate and I'm probably four credits away from a degree because I just, I was done. I had to get out of there. And um, so I call it my Thoreauian degree. You know, I got all the knowledge, sucked it up and hit the road. <laughs> my father did not, while he was alive, he did not think that was cute or funny at all. But um, yeah, it was a, it was a great time at Michigan what what resonates most with me is that we were so incredibly rebellious. Um, we mm. never thought anybody was giving us enough. You have to keep in mind, though, that this was before this was pre August Wilson, you know. And okay. So we were still riding um, the 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 materials from the sixties. It just there was there was a there wasn't a fit. You know, and so it was during the rise of Toni Morrison. And I remember reading The Bluest Eyes in high school. I went to an all girls high school because I was so naughty. They shipped me out. And um, <laughs> I, I got the book through, you know, <laughs> I lied and said my older sister had forgotten to buy the book for her class because, you know, I was a freshman and it wasn't on my book list. And so I got the book and I hid all day reading it. And I remember thinking, I I can't wait till they start telling these stories in film and TV and theater. Like it, it was so clear to me. I, I had read the rights and the Baldwins and never had I heard a voice that was so specific to women yes. and black women. And so I, I call this generation, the Dominiques, the Katoris, they're Tony's daughters, yeah. you know, we're yeah. daughters. She just kicked the narrative door open for so many of us. Oh my God. So I'm going to just trash every, all my other questions because, <laughs> <laughs> because, because your story is way more interesting oh, than any of these questions that I have. <laughs> No, ser no, seriously. I mean, the daughters of, of like, Tony's daughter. Yes. Yes, honey. Yes. Yes. What an inheritance. So did you always, did you know Dominique? Or, I mean, I, she's from Detroit also. Right. Um, so I got out of, I left Michigan. Uh, it's so funny. I my partner is Billy Eugene Jones, who's doing Fat Ham. And he's always like, you did not graduate, you left. I mean, it is really important. <laughs> You're like, all right, killer, easy, all right? Tomato, tomato. But I left Michigan and I went to Chicago and I was playing with 
Lydia Diamonds and Marcia Stone, Penelope Walker. It was just such a rich time in Chicago. I call Chicago my mm -hmm. creative home. And um, then I went, I had my daughter in Chicago and it was one of those moments where it was after 9-11, the world had collapsed. I came back from LA trying to figure out what I'm going to do with my little family. I tried everything I could to keep us together. And now it was striking out on my own with my baby. And I decided that I would go to New York because if I never worked again, mm -hmm. where would I want to live? New York City. Right. And so I brought my little girl back here and uh, my friend and uh, he just passed this last October, but Rod Gales is the connector in so many instances of my creative life. And he had done a film. We were cohorts at Michigan. He had done a film, went back to campus, and Dominique was in that film. I'm about a decade older mm -hmm. than Dominique. And when I came to New York, <clears throat> they had a Richard Pryor piece, Rod Gales and James Jackson, that was going into the Fringe Festival. And so I just stepped in as producer. And Dominique played Richard Pryor's mother. She was an actress. And that's how we met as uh, fellow actors, you know, in the Fringe Festival. Wow. And I remember her saying, I have a play. She was a poet before she was a playwright. She has a long history of slam poetry in Detroit and um, at Michigan. And she also wrote a play at Michigan, but it was more poetry based. She had mm -hmm. a, a play and me coming from Chicago, we were just do-it-yourselfers, do you know? Everybody, right, so yeah. many small companies in Chicago and there's so much art for art's sake. And here it was far more formal and it felt very mercenary. And I remember saying to a young Dominique, the actress, you know, you don't have to have a complete play done. You can have right. five pages and we can come and read it in your living room. And it can, it, it, it can be the building block. You know, this is a process. And from then on, I think I've in some way or form have touched every one of her plays since then, you know. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's, she's a kind of artist. It's really profound to watch. But every time she writes a play, her, her skill and technique and just beautiful, uh, I don't even know, her grace and love of us just explodes upon itself. You know, it just goes from one level yeah. to another level. I, I mean, I've never been around an artist who is so profoundly visionary and at the same time so collaborative you know mm. Mm -hmm. that's an art it is it is that's an art it's turning into a lost art because it's really hard to take notes it's really hard to be in collaboration when you don't trust you know and I feel yes. like there's an awful lot of distrust afoot right now and our artists mm -hmm, suffer, mm -hmm. you know? Oh, yes, yes, and yes. Mm -hmm. Speaking of, of greats, uh, Lynn Nottage, <laughs> you were nominated for a Tony for your work in Sweat as Cynthia. Mm -hmm. 
Can you talk about what that experience was like for you and what the process was for you to create that role? Yeah. <clears throat> I was in Detroit doing uh, Detroit 67. We had done it as a co-production with uh, Baltimore Center Stage, and then we took it home to Detroit. It was really important to us that it be done right. Dominique was sick during um, that run. It, it was an emergency. <clears throat> I got the audition, I think, like the day before my opening in Detroit. And they were like, put, and keep in mind, this is all pre-COVID. We weren't doing Zoom auditions. Right. We weren't doing tapes back then. I mean, it's theater. You got to be live, right? And I remember saying, exactly. I can't do this. I can't handle this right now. Um, so I'm going to say no, but thank you. And uh, then my agent called me back and she's like, okay, they will, they will take, a, it, there was some other, what, what would be done? And I remember thinking, this is ridiculous. Like I saw those reviews coming out of arena and um, OSF, like mm -hmm. what, what is going on? And I remember my agent called with another kind of, well, can we do this? Can you shoot it after? And I was like, no, I need to be right where I am with this experience. And I think she called me mm -hmm. back and she's like, Kate, we'll see you the day after you get back. They're all, it's callbacks. And she's going to meet with you for 30 minutes before your audition. And I was like, what is going on? And my agent, who was cool as a cucumber, was like, I want to see you. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, okay, relax. I did think that uh, Kate was seeing me 30 minutes before the audition because, you know, wow, she wants to see me. She did that for everybody in the callback. Yeah. <laughs> but what was beautiful about that is that um, Kate is so specific and such a warrior and she knew this play inside and out. And um, it's hard for young artists to understand, but notes are armor. They're not bullets, mm. they're armor. And she just kept filling me with notes, 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 notes. Um, so when I came back to do it for the artistic team, it felt, it felt reverential, you know? It was something really powerful in that, like that was never like, oh, we're gonna do a little play. That felt so urgent and necessary. And there was so much humility in that room. And that's, to me, the key to Lynn Nottage. There is so much brilliant humility of the human experience, yes. you know? Yes. And she's just constantly just poking at those places that we, we're, we're not ready to look at, you know? By the time we were doing that, this is pre-Trump, you know? We were right, yeah. this is pre, yes. Yeah. yes. And I remember the change. I remember that we were running at the public and then the, the election happened. And the day after the election, the audiences had loved it before. And it was a very polite, like, oh, my goodness, mm -hmm. those people. And then literally the day after, people are standing up, crying, clapping after we did that. Yes. And the, the change was, this is what happened. This is what happened. We were not taking care of each other. We were not Yes. care of our neighbors and it allowed a snake to come in 
mm-hmm. you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and start, mm-hmm. let's devour ourselves and each other, do you know? Um, yeah. So mm-hmm. I just, um, oh, I, I love the way Lynn's mind works and her generosity of spirit and the, just the beauty of her writing. I'm just, you know, yeah. I'm yeah. absolutely smitten. And you and you were nominated for a Tony. No, <laughs> <laughs> that was a total surprise. You know, was it? You know, I mean, I'm a downtown, grimy Chicago actor. You know, I, I, I had no, I never even dreamed like Tony. It, it wasn't the way I thought. Like I said, I always feel like what I'm doing is almost so radical. Do you know what I mean? That mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. won't it won't land in the larger consciousness, or, or that's not my drive. And so that was such a, right. a, a pleasant surprise. And that fact that both Johanna Day and I were nominated, it felt like oh, they get they get something, something clicked. Yeah. And that was really yes. really beautiful. I mean, we knew right yeah. away. I uh, my manager. <laughs> During that whole Tony run, I kept saying, I can't, I can't see myself. I don't know how I'm coming across because you're just doing interview after interview after interview. And my manager, Jennifer Wiley Stockton said, it sounds like you didn't expect to get invited to the party, but you're having a good time now that you're here. And I was like, well, there you go. That's right. There you go. I'll take it. <laughs> and you deserve to be at that oh, party. You deserve to be at it, that it party. It felt very good. It felt very good being at that party. I mean, sweat yes. is being done everywhere. Yes, it, is. it is legendary. Lynn nodding herself I mean, is legendary, but her work is legendary. She's so prescient, so, yeah. right? I mean, we, yeah. she... she so much of what so often you know in our our narratives it's you know what is the king doing or how can i be more like the king in his court right you know uh-huh. and lynn yes. is always uh-huh. looking at the grimy yes. folks who are left right. do you know what i mean when everyone right. is yes. looking up at the castle she's looking around at the mm-hmm. people do you know and that's why she's always on that cutting always. edge of what's what's to come it's like oh my gosh she foreshadowed that oh oh my gosh and it's it's constant she was in reading pennsylvania two years talking to people to develop sweat so this was she you know she's just not a, a a creative she doesn't just you know parachute in and you know do a take on a community mm-hmm. and then parachute out even after we did sweat when we closed it, the night we closed it at the public, we got on a van and went to Reading, Pennsylvania and did a bare bones version for them. And that was wow. so important to her to bring their voices home. You know, it was yes. so profound. And uh, and then even after that, her and her husband, they did this beautiful kind of multi um you know, with photography and interviews mm-hmm. up at Reading in a refound space, which was their early railroad, um, and and brought more energy and actors and artists back to Reading. It she just is so committed to our collective humanity. She just moves me constantly. 
constantly. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Speaking of moving people, Tanashi Coates, Between the World and Me, the documentary that you did about being Black in the United States and some of the struggles of the realities of Black people in this country. What did it mean to you to be a part of that project? You know, Camila Forbes and I go back to Dominique's original, original script, which is poetry and, and, and monologues. And that's when Camila Forbes was the president of the Hip Hop Theater Caucus. And I remember, you know, thinking, who, who put this together? I mean, it was <laughs> so beautifully done, the festival. And I remember they're saying, oh, Camila Forbes. And I was like, oh, no, I mean, the grown-up who did this. She was so young. <laughs> there you get, there you go, you old ages fool. Um, <laughs> that's how Camila and I first met. And once again, it's just that, uh, that connection that there is something larger than you that needs to get said and done. And mm-hmm. um, I remember that. I was following Tanahasi when he was at the Atlantic writing and he had one of the most profound uh, comment sections. He had a moderator. I mean, it, the, the exchange of ideas, it was just be- so beautiful. And I remember thinking, who is this kid that leads with curiosity, you know, and vulnerability mm-hmm. and just ruthless ruthless insight, you know? Mm-hmm. And I used to put his quotes up all the time from his articles and Cam would laugh. And she's like, that's my, that's one of my closest friends. And you're like, well, he's brilliant and let him know, you know? And so I, <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> I just, you know. That's me. Yep, with that. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and after Between the World and Me came out, I was just, I remember reaching out to her and just saying, this is just such a text of healing and Mm. you know so often as um 
people of color and women, you're always being gaslit out of your feelings. Yeah. And yes. it's just, I remember saying to him when we were doing it at the Apollo, this text makes you feel like you're not crazy. Do you know, like right. all of the, the disappointments and the fears and the struggles, but the intense joy and commitment to community. And um, so it started as a theatrical production, right? And we did it at the Apollo mm-hmm. and then we did it in DC at the Kennedy Center. And it was so beautiful and profound. And then they, uh, they decided during the pandemic that they were going to do it as a series of monologues. And uh, I was just so happy to still be able to participate. By the time we had done it for HBO, though, uh, there is Greg Alvarez-Reed, myself, Pauletta Washington, Joe Morton. We were the four anchors of the theatrical piece. And then, you know, you would have T.I. come in and Lettucey. And, but we were the four that were there holding the piece down. So technically, between the four of us, we could do every monologue in that piece. And so Cam kept calling and saying, oh, you're going to do this. Oh, no, no. I found someone to do this. I need you to do this. You know, so it's like, wow. it really helps when you uh, can do every monologue so you can keep a job, right. you know, <laughs> so it was you know, beautiful. Well, speaking of like humanity, mm-hmm. your current work that's at, uh, at Lincoln, at the Lincoln mm-hmm. Center, uh, the Coast Starlight. Yes. And how it looks at how it, I kind of, I, when I, when I saw it, I was like, wow, it's, it's so a, a snapshot of the world we yes. live in. We're together, but we're That's not. Exactly and right. all of the conversations that we should have or, mm-hmm. and don't. And I mean, you talk about humanity mm-hmm. and I mean, so for, for those of you who haven't seen it yet, I'm not going to give anything away, but it's basically you're you're on not basically you're on this train to Seattle from L.A. and all these people come in and 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 come on the train, leave the train, come on the train, and um, you you imagine what their story is, and but they actually tell you what their story is, and it's about the juxtaposition between humanity and um and how we're together neck right next to each other but yet we don't we don't interact and we don't communicate anymore and of the backstories that you all tell about why you're on this journey and while you're on this trip you know I think a lot of us people watch and we we make up stories about you know what we how we might interact or what we think that person is and then this show really explores um who these people are and the um I think it explores humanity and the conversations that aren't had that could be had that could that could enrich our lives that's kind of how I how I how I what I walked away from it um how what can you talk about your experience on the on the coast starlight and you know what it represents to you and why you felt that picked you mm-hmm. it, it's such a beautiful small little play and And these human connections are almost magically real, right? I mean, the idea that we could save each other's 
lives if we just had had this conversation, but we're so separated and we're so used to being in our little hidey holes and, you know, struggling on our own and redemption is in each other. You know, Um, Camus said, hell is other people. And Keith Bunin is saying, maybe not so fast. Maybe if we figured out a way to, 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 connect in our commonality and our humanness, it could save us, you know? We're not very good at nuanced conversations, right? We're not, everything is, you know, run, blow it up, fight. If you're feeling too many feelings, you know, that's when you have the gun shoot out. And um, the idea of these people just having these small, intimate conversations, right? It, it's almost magical. You know, it's almost as profound as, yeah, yeah, you know, and just sharing. And, and, and the conceit is, if I had known that, they say to each other, I wish I had told you, if I had told you the truth, you know, and just those, how we, we mm-hmm. work so hard in um, separating ourselves from each other, you know, and defining ourselves as other and people as other than us. And really, it's just those small mm-hmm. connections that could save us. It could save us. And um, there's something bittersweet about that, that it could be that simple, you know, that it could be that simple right. to turn to someone instead of turning on them, right? To turn to someone and say, yes, boom, this is where I am. This is how this feels. This is, you know, um, so it, it, it's, uh, it's really lovely and profound. It's funny because one of my Chicago, grimy Chicago friends came and she was like, I was waiting for the white boy to go postal or something. And I'm like, it's not, that's not this play. <laughs> this play is about just these people. And something that's also sneaky about Bunin's play is it's a play of class. You know, you have two white males who are from the warrior class. We never talk about them except to pathologize them. We never talk about that class of whiteness except to pathologize it. So here you have these two men who have are from the warrior class. One is running from it. One has survived it, not wholly intact, and they are healing each other and us through their humanity and their flaws. And I think that's really, that's really tricky and profound, but he snuck that in there. Do you know, we never hear about these class of men. Mm-hmm. Do you know, we don't care about them. We, we talk yeah. often about what we're missing, you know, as black folks and as women and as, but once again, just like with sweat, there is a class dynamic that we've allowed to be exasperated, do you know? And so we don't connect, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? It's like this society has said, you know, well, we, we won't give you white male. We won't give you an education, health care or a job, but you're white. And that is the wages of whiteness. And the, it, the wages of whiteness are not as valuable anymore. And so they're dying younger. Do you know what I mean? They're using drugs at higher rates. And it's like, we, we, we have to realize that our salvation is in each other. 
gift, you know, our salvation is a gift. Oh, I love that. I love that. Well, yeah. speaking of, of salvation, I have one final uh -oh. question. And it You're is good at these transitions, girl. <laughs> what is the one piece of advice that you'd like to share with the black future leaders of Broadway, whether it be on stage, behind, in the offices? Oh boy. Can we expand it out and say like the creative community? Broadway is brilliant. Yes. And yes. Broadway is a business yes. model. Broadway is 900 seats that you have to sell. And that comes with its own stuff. You have to sell seats, 900 of them, to keep a play going. And these musicals are making a million dollars a week. These people are working hard. Straight plays don't do that, do you know? And so some ways we have to change our minds not everything mm. not everything has to be for 900 seats there has to be room for these small intimate pieces and we have to keep nurturing them small and if they're supposed to go big they naturally will do you know um but i would just mm -hmm. i would say that it's in the nurturing of these voices. It's in the nurturing of these talents. And um, we have to figure out a way how to build back and maintain trust with these writers, with these actors. There's so much, um, there's so much pain that has not been released. Do you know? The sacrifices it takes, mm. the humiliations this art seems to constantly heap on you. And one thing that I've learned is that your art is very personal. You know, um, there is no way to yes. do it. You get out of school. Back in my day, we didn't go to grad school. I mean, I think I'm that last generation that it wasn't, you know, we got out of school and we hit the boards and we were doing it in small places. Mm -hmm. Now it's much harder because it's so hierarchical to Yes. Get access to a stage without coming through a program, you know, and what is the cost of these right. programs, not just financially. Right. So there's all these people putting yes. their hands on your art and and grooming you and molding you and helping you find your voice. I just I, I hope young artists take back the power and just reground themselves in. In the question of why do you do this? Do you know what, why do mm. you do this? What attracts you? And when you're young, it's like, I'm insecure. And, you know, I constantly think about what I would have said or should have said. And, you know, it, it can be that thin, right? That initial impulse. Right. But as you stay in the art, there has to be more. And you have to keep asking yourself, why am I doing this? What is this about? Is it enough that I just am in a state of constant pick me, pick me, do you know? Or is there something deeper right. and larger at work here? And um, just keep asking yourselves the questions and be graceful. Be graceful, mm. compassionate with people. 
this. I love that. This is just too hard. Do you know, it's too hard what we do and just make room for grace and compassion with your fellow artist on this journey, you know? Yeah, I love it. Compassion, make room, be true to your who you are and, yeah. and true to the art, all That's things cool. that we all should remember. Because this work is hard. It's hard. It's brutal. It hard. And it's unkind. And there's an awful lot of rejection. And, and you know, I, it's much easier for me after having, you know, I, I raised a kid in the art. Um, there was a time when I thought, well, that's it. I'm done. Do you know, I had just done a, a show in Chicago mm -hmm. and it was a blowout and I found out I was pregnant and decided to have the baby. And I, I had, I was up for a soap opera and then the show I did was going on tour. And I remember sitting in the audience, you know, probably three months pregnant thinking, well, I'm done. That's it. I, I am done. And mm -hmm. it doesn't work like that. Do you know, it's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And there are times yeah. where you're just going yeah, to have to exactly. give and take exactly. at the craft. Do you know, just give and take. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I want to thank our guests and you, our listeners. You could have been doing anything else, but you chose to spend your time with me and I am grateful. Be sure to subscribe at bpn.fm slash bbb so you'll never miss an episode. While you're at it, tell a friend. I'm your host, Janine Scott, and we at the Broadway League hope you enjoyed this episode of the Black Business of Broadway. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.